This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder and executive director of the 20 plus year old nonprofit organization, the Lynn Cohen Foundation and the SEAM, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing female founders, entrepreneurs, scientists, doctors, researchers to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. I am so excited to be talking to Johanna Schmidt today, who is a genetic counselor working in Los Angeles and has a long, really interesting background in genetic counseling. So welcome, Johanna. I'm really happy to be talking to you today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Will you just start with a little bit more about your background and how you ended up in genetic counseling? Like, why did this career choose you or you choose it? Um, Yeah, so I started, so in college, I was a journalism major, actually. And I think that um, I was drawn to journalism for similar reasons as I ended up being drawn to genetic counseling, which is that it, you know, I just, I really like hearing people's stories and, you know, taking complex information and making it you know, relevant and meaningful to people. So um, after, so, so, that, so I did my, my journalism degree undergrad. And then after I did that, I was working for a couple of years in a nonprofit and I got really passionate about women's health and women's health issues. So I decided that I wanted to get a master's in public health. And I wanted to focus on women's health issues and, um, and study that further. But when I got to the University of Michigan, where I did my master's in public health, um, it was 2004, and the Human Genome Project had just been completed. So the sequence of the human genome was known. And the school was really pushing for people in my department, so I was in the Department of Health Behavior and Health Education, um, to concentrate in public health genomics. And um, I, I was a little sort of intimidated by that because I hadn't taken any science classes basically since high school, really. Um, but they said, don't worry, you know, we'll catch you up on, on all of that. What we really need is behavioral scientists, social scientists, and educators to help translate everything we've learned from the Human Genome Project to make it relevant to individuals and to the healthcare system. And we really need, we really need to move forward in that way. So I went for it. Um, I, uh, I kind of jumped in with both feet and uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> and after I graduated, I got a job working at the National Human Genome Research Institute, which is part of the NIH. Um, and I was doing research there with just some really incredible researchers. And I realized what I really wanted to do was be able to work one-on-one with patients and families and help them through the process of this complex world of genetic testing and help them understand what they needed to know for themselves about what genetic testing can do for them. So I went then for a second master's um, in genetic counseling. And, uh, you know, that was where kind of everything really clicked. And I just realized this was everything that I really wanted to be doing. You know, it was, it was communication and it was um, implementing these sort of public health ideals that I was looking for. And it was also connecting one-on-one. 
with with patients and with families. Um, so yeah, so when I graduated from that program, I was really lucky to get a job in a hospital setting with uh, with children, working with children with genetic conditions. And it was a great job for a lot of reasons. First, it was it was great because I was able to combine clinical care with research. So I had done research before, but this is my first um, involvement in biomedical research. So I had done behavioral research and social science research, but I really, really got to understand the world of biomedical research in that context. Um, and I got to work with just some incredible families during a difficult time in their lives um, where I was able to provide support to them as they looked for a diagnosis for their children. And um, I really, I got to work with an incredible team. Um, the doctor that I worked with uh, is truly one of the most compassionate and brilliant researchers and clinicians I've ever come into contact with. And I actually still, in my work now, I, I still do a little contract work with her group because um, she's just been such an incredible mentor and friend all these years. Um, and uh, and then, so I worked. So I worked in that hospital setting for about three and a half years. And then my husband's job brought us to Los Angeles. And at the time, I was towards the end of my pregnancy with my first kid. And so I decided to just kind of take a step back. You know, we did move to a new city. I was having a new baby. So I, I took I took some time just to be a mom and get settled. And then when my son was about a year old, I, I, I really was itching to get back into something. I, I did not want to, um, I didn't want to be back in the, full, in the clinic full time. I wasn't ready for that. But I really wanted to remain connected and engaged because in the field of genetics, if you blink, <laughs> you miss something. So I, I just, uh, I decided to kind of think about ways that I could you know, kind of create something that made, that allowed me to make my own schedule and to kind of find that work, that elusive work-life balance that we all look for. And so I thought about, so I decided to kind of start a uh, consulting and private practice. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been doing for the past, gosh, six years now. <laughs> It's amazing. What a journey. That's amazing. I feel like this is one of those fields that really finds you as much as you find it because mm -hmm. it takes such a, um, a, a passionate, empathetic person to be a genetic counselor. In so many ways, it's like, I don't think anyone should do genetic, nobody should do genetic testing without a genetic counselor, but I mean, the, the sort of breakdown of the human body that you're giving somebody and then talking them through it and understanding it and understanding the implications for, you know, children you were working with and then grown women even is, you know, is so amazing. I think it's, it's like the most tremendous work. Um, and I wanted to ask, so what are you right now, who are the majority of your clients? Um, yeah, so I'll just say, like, I, you know, I agree. It is something that kind of that kind of finds you. Um, I'm I feel incredibly lucky um, to be to be part of this profession. You know, it's a relatively small profession. You know, we only there's only several thousand genetic counselors in the country. Um, despite it being sort of one of those top jobs of the 
21st century kind of thing. Um, it's not, it's, it's something that is still kind of relatively, relatively few people um, choose this path. And that has partially to do with the fact that the, um, the number of training programs are limited and, um, you know, we're still growing as a profession, but I do feel incredibly lucky. Um, so my clients now are, um, you know, I wasn't sure what it was all going to look like when I started. I didn't know what types of clients I would be, end up, I would end up seeing. I thought at the beginning it would be more people who were trying to plan, you know, starting to plan a family and they wanted to get information about carrier screening or get some information about what to expect. Um, during pregnancy in terms of genetic testing and what their options were going to be and or how to, you know, you know, prepare for pregnancy and get the information they needed. Uh, and I did do a little bit of that at the beginning. That's kind of how I built myself at first. But um, as it turned out, through some of the contract work that I was doing and through some of the networking that I did early on, um, I kind of got uh, connected into this world of what we call direct to consumer genetic testing. So in other words, uh, this, this industry of genetic testing that offers their services directly to people without going through a doctor. And this has exploded over the last decade, certainly over the last five years, even more so, where people are going to the internet and, um, and choosing to obtain genetic testing on themselves. Sometimes they're doing that to find out uh, things about their ancestry, uh, where they come from, and that kind of thing. Um, but also people are interested in learning about uh, their health risks. So people, so I kind of found myself in this position of, of providing that kind of counseling where there was a real um, gap in the service delivery that existed already because so many genetic counselors, I, I was one of very few who did, who went into this as a private practice. Most genetic counselors, 99% of genetic counselors work in you know, a hospital setting with children or they work in uh, a, a cancer center with oncologists or they work in a prenatal center with maternal or fetal medicine doctors. So this was this was uh, a, a real a real change from that, and it it allowed me to kind of fill that gap, because a lot of genetic counselors didn't have the time or honestly willingness to talk to people about these genetic test results they were getting online, um, and so and there was also sort of no structure for that within the within the environments that genetic counselors work. So I found myself kind of being the one of a few that, that people were going to to discuss their testing, usually after they had already obtained the results. That's amazing. I mean, I have such mixed, I've had such mixed emotions about genetic testing and the ease of getting it. Obviously, there's so many companies now that you can, you know, do through the mail and you FedEx it back and you see, you know, tremendous information about yourself. Like you said, a lot of people do it for their ancestry. ancestry. Um, but I, when people ask me about it, my answer is always, I would never do genetic testing without a genetic counselor because <laughs> there's so many different implications for the information you receive, a lot of which is hard to read, hard to understand. And also, mm -hmm. there's so many choices that then, you know, you can make. So obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm focused in the field of women's health and women's cancer prevention. So 
our clinics at in New York and Los Angeles have a genetic counselor, like you said, in the hospital setting that are working with um, within our clinic. So they're for healthy women who come in who potentially have increased risk for breast or ovarian cancer. And if they want genetic testing, it's mandatory that they speak with a genetic counselor before and after. Um, you know, there's women in their 20s who've said to me, my mom passed away of ovarian cancer. I don't know if she was BRCA1 or BRCA2 positive. Should I get a genetic test? And, you know, like I said, my answer is always yes, but you have to talk to a genetic counselor simultaneously because what will you do if the answer is, you know, yes, I'm positive for a BRCA gene mutation? Or like you said, it's exploded over the last decade and a half, I guess. So the all the other number of genes that have been coded that, you know, can indicate whether you're at higher risk or not for let's just say, obviously, I'm talking about, you know, women's cancers. There's so many implications to finding out that information. If you're young, does that change the way you, you know, if you want to get married, if you want to have kids, if you freeze your eggs? Now there are a lot of options for women, which is women, which is amazing. But at the same time, it's also um, really hard to, to go through that alone. I mean, I couldn't imagine. So I think that I always thought when these tests came out that were, you know, direct to consumer genetic genetic testing, like you say, I feel like there should have been attached, you know, a line, please go over these as a genetic counselor. Here's the name of a few. But I was unaware mm -hmm. that so few women like yourself or genetic counselors like yourself um, are available for that. Because like you said, 99% are working in most likely a hospital setting. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I can't imagine some of the people that you've worked with and help them navigate really interesting situations. I don't know if you can share one or two of the, of the, um, I don't know, just the, the stories that you've, you've been, you know, you've been a part of. Yeah, well, I think it's really great advice, especially for someone who has a family history of something to recommend that they see a genetic counselor for, for genetic testing, not only because of what you pointed out, that the implications, right, the emotional implications, the logistical implications, even financial and emotional, all of these things, there, there are so many implications to getting a test result that could potentially really change your life. Um, so I, I completely agree with that. And I also think, um, you know, that the, in addition to that being absent, if somebody just goes online to get their genetic testing, the truth is the testing that's available for people online, um, especially when they're looking for something specific, you know, if they're looking to assess a health risk or they're looking right. to even potentially explain something they're, they're, they're experiencing themselves, the cancer, whatever it is, the genetic testing that's available um, by these companies is, is really limited in and of itself. And it, it could potentially not give you the answer that you're looking for um, and give you really incomplete information that will do more of a disservice than anything else. So, so yeah, so I think it's great advice to tell someone who has a specific health concern that, you know, that, that they should get testing by a genetic counselor, really because uh, both for the implications of the testing itself, you know, what, what a positive result might mean for someone on multiple levels, you know, whether that is, uh, emotional, psychological, financial, logistical, there's a lot of implications that can come for, from a genetic test. But aside from that, a lot of the testing that is available on the internet is really limited in its ability to even find what a person might be looking for if it's a specific question. So if somebody is looking you know, to understand their cancer risk, 
um, going to one of these testing companies that is available online that's not really designed for that um, could leave you with essentially like a false negative kind of situation right. where you've gone to this this testing site to determine, well, um, I want to know if I have uh, an increased risk for breast and ovarian cancer from, say, the BRCA genes. You know, you might go to these testing sites and they might be testing uh, for a few different mutations within those genes, but they're not looking at the entire gene. They're not really set up to give that type of diagnostic information. Um, they're really just designed uh, to maybe sometimes give some sort of nuggets of information here or there, but they're not they're not designed to do what um, what a genetic counselor can do in terms of assessing someone's risk for a, uh, a condition and then identifying and ordering the right test for the right person, um, you know, for that person at that time. You know, there's there's so there's so much complexity, there's so much nuance when it comes to genetic testing that if if someone really needs that information, um, it, it absolutely, you're right, it's best to see someone who, uh, who knows how, how, to, how to go about that process. But I mean, that's- Yeah, to navigate from yeah. start to end. Yes. Yeah, the start to end, you know, there, there, it is very much, you know, it's, it's, a, it's as much a logistical process as it is an emotional process too. Um, so, you know, understanding, what to expect, and then having someone present to, you know, to explain results to you at the end um, is also, is also incredibly valuable. Um, yeah, definitely. But, yeah. You know, that said, though, I, I understand, I understand why people are drawn to genetic testing online. I mean, I agree with you. There's that certain, like, yikes factor when you hear when I hear someone saying oh I'm just going to go get genetic testing on myself but I understand it you know people are looking you know people want to know what you know what what kind of what's coming up the pike you know what do I have to be worried about can I change my lifestyle um, to to become you know to, to kind of mitigate a risk um, or maybe they want sort of a peace of mind they want to know oh well I don't have any of those genetic variants so at least that's good you know, that kind of thing. I, I get that. I understand the need for that. And I actually believe in empowering people to access their own genetic information. I mean, it, it is, in fact, what makes us who we are. So there's part of me that really feels, well, a lot of me really feels that, you know, that's important for people to do. So, I, but I think, I think the trick is really having people understand what they're getting into what the potential implications are of that and truly what the limitations are of what's really available today, um, both on the market, but also just from a, from the standpoint of that we're still learning so much about genetics and disease. Um, and so there's just, there's just a lot that is left to be known in the future. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I recently talked on this podcast to um, a friend, Allie Bartman, who, of her cancer story. She had breast cancer and her mom had breast cancer twice and she was definitely at high risk and she chose not to have genetic testing um, and she chose not to, uh, before she, you know, had breast cancer and she chose, you know, not to see where that would go, whether it would lead to double mastectomy or whatever her choices would be. Um, and then subsequently, you know, her answer was now, you know, when I originally went down that road or thought about it, there's now just a handful of years later, 
so many other genes that they're going to be that they're mm-hmm. testing for. Um, the panel mm-hmm. is just grown, you know, I, I guess exponentially is not really an overstatement. Um, and that's yeah. one of those other things too. And, and like you said, which I think is brilliant, which is, you know, you have to, people are one looking at genetic testing to find something, um, but then you never know what else is going to come out. And also mm-hmm. there's so many things that will, will show up. Um, you know, that are fine and good and just give you information and other things that could, you know, be, wow, I wasn't expecting to get that. I mean, I remember my very, my mom, you know, died very young of ovarian cancer, but she was BRCA negative and Mm -hmm. my sisters and I all are as well. And, but my very first, like my very first time that I had genetic testing was when I had my first child um, Mm -hmm. because my my husband and I, you know, are both Jewish, so we have the Tay-Sex testing. And to be honest, there was no discussion about it. There was no, and I was at Georgetown in D.C., there was no, um, there was no genetic counselor who talked to me. There was no saying, well, if this is, if this, you know, if this comes up positive or you both come up positive, these are the implications. I don't, and I didn't, honestly, I was young. I mean, I was, you know, my 20s. I didn't know much about it. And in hindsight, mm-hmm. I certainly wish that I had gone through it, you know, properly and rigorously as I, you know, counsel people to do now, which is, no, knowledge is power. I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in living in the dark. I believe there's a line that everyone, you know, wants to, you know, stay pretty close to, but not cross over in terms of, you know, becoming crazy and obsessed and trying to know everything and, you know, figure out their future. Some of it is just too much, but I don't, believe that sticking your head in the sand is a good idea either but I also think that there's you get information that is really powerful that you know shapes your future in so many ways that it's it's this amazing career that you have that you know knows so much about genetics and and then also what becomes available but also has this other side where you are a counselor I mean you're a genetic counselor which and the counseling part is is just so important and it's it's brilliant what you do and and the people you see has um what do you like better it's i know it's different stages and phases of your life so the choices were also like you said made because of you know moves and children and whatnot but what do you enjoy more the hospital setting or the sort of private practice contract work that you do or or what's the you know what do you what are the nuances that 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 make you love them both i guess um, well, I do love them both. I mean, I love all of the above. Um, I love that I have right now the flexibility to, um, you know, especially in, in this age of COVID-19, you know, I'm able to kind of adjust and decide, you know, where my priorities should be. Nobody's making that decision for me in terms of where I want to be spending my time. And I think, you know, I, so it's, it's kind of left me in this position of kind of being able to think big picture right now about what are my priorities as a counselor, as somebody involved in this field, and, you know, what can I do with that at this time, especially given the limitations of the fact that my kids are home all the time, and there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. Um, I think um, you you identified a couple of very interesting um, issues with the genetic counseling profession in that as a young 20-something going for genetic testing before having your first child, you weren't necessarily met with the type of counseling and testing that might have been useful um, at the time. 
even if it existed. And, and then, you know, it's possible that it wasn't as available. But I think that's an issue I've been thinking a lot about is how can we as counselors, how can I as a counselor maximize my ability to communicate with really the masses, the public health, right? Like how can I, how can I be there as an educator and somebody who can explain and prepare people for what the possibilities of genetic testing are on a more broad scale? Because I think what, what was ha what's been happening in my private practice is when I talk to people who have gotten this genetic testing online, I end up having a, basically a similar conversation with each person. And what it comes down to is not, I mean, occasionally I'll come up across a person who has a genetic variant, is identified but with one gene that we know a lot about and has clear associated health risks. And in that case, I often actually refer them out to a specialist who's going to be able to manage their care because I can't do that independently. Um, but a lot of times I'm talking to people who are generally healthy. Um, you know, maybe they are looking for, like I said, sort of nuggets of information about themselves. They want to know what's coming up the pike. But because of the limitations of what's available um, in terms of how we interpret the genome, that ends up being um, sort of a similar conversation with any, everyone. It, it, it's, a, it's a discussion about, well, you know, what, what does it mean to have a genetic variant? How do we determine which genetic variants are problematic for our health? Under what circumstances can we, can we change our lifestyle that might improve those, or even, you know, do surgeries or whatever that might improve our, our chances of, of remaining healthy? Um, you know, that, that's all really, it really, it all comes down to, to understanding how genetic testing works, how genetic variants are identified, and then what that all means. And I think I, I've been thinking a lot about how I can use that on a more broad scale and think about, and what I've been thinking about, especially is working with healthcare providers, because with so few genetic counselors in the country, we couldn't possibly give what every like everybody could use genetic counseling right we all have genes but there aren't <laughs> there there is enough genetic counselors to to go around and so i've been thinking a lot about how can i use these skills to improve literacy improve genetic literacy specifically in the public but also you know among healthcare providers who may not have even you know learned much about genetics when they were in medical school um and so trying to think about what, what might be some, some useful tools for, you know, healthcare providers across the board to have available to them to be able to have these discussions with people um, who are not at a specific risk of something. Again, I think people who are, you know, at risk for, uh, you know, based on their family history or personal health history of, um, you know, cancer or heart disease or, you know, whatever it may be, those people definitely need, you know, targeted uh, individualized counseling. But I think, you know, on a public health scale, um, there could be a lot more that we can do to, um, you know, to, to provide people with the, the tools and skills they need to be able to make good choices for themselves about which test and why they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I could certainly could not, could not agree more. And what you're doing is, it's so important. I think there are so many people that don't that know a lot about, or they 
you know, a lot, know a lot about what's available to them in terms of genetic testing, but don't know about genetic counselors um, yeah. for so many different reasons. Um, you know, it's not highly available in places all over the country. And obviously, like you said, there aren't that many that are doing what you're doing. Um, so I just think it's incredibly important to talk about and to, you know, let people know that, that you're out there. Um, one last question during and you and you and you alluded to it and during this you alluded to it in terms of you know time and what you have on your plate right now with COVID-19 and your little kids home and being able to work and all of that um what do you think that this you know the the situation right now and the pandemic right now and seeing that there are people who are certainly at greater risk of having real complications from COVID-19 what do you think that will, what impact do you think that will have on genetic testing? Or have you noticed it already in terms of people kind of wanting to know more about themselves in regard to this pandemic? Or do you see that at all? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, I, I thought you might actually ask about that because I've been thinking a lot about that. <laughs> um, so there is a little bit of work being done already. I mean, we're so early in this pandemic and understanding of this particular virus that, um, you know, all this work is sort of preliminary at this point. But there is some work being done now to try to understand why is it that some people are infected and don't have any symptoms at all, and some people, um, you know, are, are sick for days or weeks or even months on end um, and end up uh, in the, hospitalized on a ventilator or even, um, you know, succumb to this, to this disease. Um, so there is some work being done. Um, I don't know much about the details. I do know they've identified some, some genes that might be associated with uh, people who have more severe disease. In particular, I think they're looking into some different blood types um, that might be associated. But again, it's all very, um, it's all very preliminary, and um, we need more, more research and more, more samples and more. Uh, you know, kind of uh, diverse and representative um, groups to, to study better. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's making people just, just the, the idea of having to face this health threat, I think makes people really think about, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, sometimes <laughs> we can't avoid these health threats and maybe sometimes we just, just face them as a society. Um, it's interesting from right. a health behavior standpoint, you know, as a health, you know, as somebody who studies health behavior, you know, why some people choose to, you know, follow through with the recommendations of wearing face masks and some people don't, um, you know, why some people are, are choosing to be like sort of there's the spectrum of how people are, are choosing to behave in this environment. Um, but I think there is, I think there's going to be a lot that comes out that might be able to more quickly identify those individuals who really are at high risk of developing serious complications so that we can move them into a more intensive care than we might have, you know, if we, if we know that they're not as at, as at high risk. Um, so I, I, I am very hopeful that this, that this will be, that genetics will play a role in, in all of this in a, in a really beneficial way. You know, it's really interesting to see, really interesting. I had a conversation with Dr. Linda Roman, who's the chief of gynecology um, oncology at USC, who's also the director of the Lynn Cohen Clinic there. And we talked briefly about this because, you know, at first she was, you know, there was a, a lot of trepidation because some of the 
the chemotherapy drugs that women are on, it, you know, it really jacks up basically your immune response. And so, you know, immunotherapy, obviously. So they were nervous for these women in particular, who she sees, obviously to, um, you, you know, to be more susceptible and if they would indeed be stopping it, which they have not, um, mm-hmm. there's obviously women who are, you know, extremely, extraordinarily careful right now in this day and age and being, you know, seeing other people, et cetera. But it is, um, it is fascinating. I mean, it really is interesting. And I, I do think that it will create a wave of people who are, you know, really more interested in getting to understand their genetics and what mm-hmm. that means for them in terms of risk um, of all sorts of diseases. But in particular, you know, this isn't going away for a while, a long time, I don't mm-hmm. think. So, you know, mm-hmm. what does it mean for them? And and using that to figure out, like you say, do you wear a mask? Do you, you know, send your kids to school? Do you stay home? Like wh- all those different options that you have that we now have every day um, mm-hmm. and using that to help make those decisions. I think it's important. And I, you know, I believe fundamentally in science and in in knowing the information so I, I I hope that other people you know will start to that don't now or not necessarily don't believe in science but aren't as interested in their own genetics might take that that leap um, with of course someone like you by their side so they can actually understand the results and what they mean and and what they mean in regards to different different things you know in particular right now with coronavirus is pretty fascinating um, so we'll see, I guess, where that goes. Well, Johanna, thank you so yeah. much. I think what you do is so incredibly important. Um, it just can't be said it anymore. It's just phenomenal. And I know that you've changed a lot of people's lives. And I think that is just the best thing that we can do. So I thank you for that. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.